and welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. I say host, but this episode is the work of Charity Chat producers Usman Mughal and Vicky Luck, who were the ones interviewing our guest Jason Rigby a few weeks ago. Jason at that time was Director of Fundraising and Communications at Children with Cancer UK. They sat down with Jason at a central London cafe to talk about management, fundraising, retaining skilled staff and a whole host of other things relating to essentially directing charity activities. As editor of this episode, I was particularly inspired by a lot of what Jason has to say, so I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did. And without further ado... Here is Jason Rigby speaking to Usman and Vicky about his role and work with Children with Cancer UK. Okay, thank you very much, Jason, uh, for joining us today. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? your experience and your role as a director of fundraising um, and communication at Children with Cancer UK. Yeah, sure. Nice to be with you. Um, So I came across to Children with Cancer UK after spending, gosh, 25 years in the commercial world. Um, So my commercial life started with Vodafone. Um, I then moved on to Carphone Warehouse and spent some very enjoyable years in the telecom industry. And then kind of a change of life really. I, uh, I reached an age where uh, my mortgage was, was done and my niece was diagnosed with AML leukemia and I wanted to do something different and I looked at what was transferable in terms of skills and of course uh, fundraising and communications is it's very closely linked to sales and marketing which is my background. Um, so I contacted the Board of Trustees and was able to join the charity. And you speak about that personal connection. Um, how important that was that for you as a driving force um, to join the charity well and use your experience in trying to um, come up with solutions and cures for cancer? <laughs> it certainly was an incentive um, and it certainly narrowed the number of charities that I would have looked to join. I mean, obviously, there is a, uh, a step change between um, the, well, being crude between the earnings in the commercial sector and the charitable sector, but I wasn't doing it for the money, I was doing it because I wanted to find a solution to a problem. Um, and it just so happened that this, here was a charity that had been run as a family memorial charity for 30 odd years. Um, and was just wanting to start to grow but didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So we came together just at the right time. Absolutely. And I want, something that I want to touch on as well um, is coming into a new organisation. How do you as a fundraising and communications director prioritise which elements to change? Um, how I do think, you go about doing this? Okay. I, I think the first priority is not to come in and change everything. Yeah. Um, you don't get to be 30 years old with a healthy balance sheet and a healthy income stream if you're getting everything wrong. Um, but in terms of uh, the priorities that I always exercise, number one always has to be your people. Yes. So if you're going to go on a strategy, 
strategic direction, the people have to come with you. So you have to get your team structure right, um, they have to be bought into what you're selling, so therefore your, your strategy has to be bottom up, everybody has to be bought into it. And that then ties really closely into culture. Yes. Um, we have to move away from a kind of that'll do culture to a can do culture and we all have to be aspiring to the same end goal. Um, and then, which people always say is very commercial, but actually it isn't, it's very developmental. You have to have accountable behaviours. So I came across a lot of behaviours that were um, not accountable in the way they were measured. Um, and we made sure every employee was measured so that we could give them the right development, coaching, nurturing, so that they could advance and get on with their careers. And what do you think, what practical steps can senior management take in order to ensure that um, the team um, feels that their ideas and suggestions are taken on board through when you're going through a tr transition period, for example? Uh, some of the things I changed when I got there, I can only speak from personal experience. Um, we changed it from a closed door policy to open door. Um, we looked at the four zones towards growth. Um, so comfort, fear, uh, learning, and then finally the growth zone and established very quickly that the charity was in the fear zone. People were frightened of coming up with new ideas, frightened of them failing. Uh, and of course, if you have fear in an organisation, you don't have innovation. Yes. Um, and we then very quickly encouraged people to say, it's okay to make a mistake. What we need to do is learn from it. Yes. Um, so we very quickly move them into the learning zone of how do I work closely with my peers rather than as a silo? How do I work more closely with everybody? How do I come up with new ideas? So we, you walk around our office, you will see great big boxes where people are encouraged to put new ideas into them. Um, and then we hand them out every Monday morning and we all give them to a person in the organisation to own that idea and report back on how they're doing to progress it. I think that's a really important point to ensure that all colleagues across the organisation feel that they're supported and that their ideas are taken on board. Yep. How do you, because in different departments they, people work in different ways <laughs> and um, in my experience in the charity sector some organisations work in silos to a certain extent so how do you harbour not only that kind of collective working within departments but across the organisation because I think yeah. that's vital when you come to ensure that you achieve a common goal. Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of ways. Um, one is around the number. Um, so when I arrived I found that you know the sports team had a number and the corporate team had a number and so on and so forth. And we got rid of that measurement and there is just one number um, because do, does the public or the, indeed the board of trustees really care whether one team was over and one team was under as long as the number is met? Yes. No, not really. Uh, you know, the, the patient families we help only care that we've raised the amount of money we said we would. So the whole company then, including um, IT, finance, HR, all the sport functions are measured on one number. And the other thing that we changed to get rid of silos is I was, I was 
astounded really when I arrived and found the company was measured on gross income. So the one thing we changed so that all the support functionality could contribute as well was the whole business is now measured on net. Okay. Because that's the number that is spent on our charitable objective. Yeah. So IT then think, do I need to order a laptop? Do I need to order? Because it contributes to the net income. Yes. So we then put into place some quite rigid KPIs across the business. Every single person, every single person in the organization is measured on the first metric the same, the net number. Um, and we monitor that quarterly, because the other thing I found a little odd was it's measured annually. Well, that's great, but it doesn't give you any chance to react. So we now measure quarterly, um, and we have uh, red, amber, green statuses across the business. Um, and green is okay, amber needs something, and red we all need to jump on it. Um, and just trying to drive that one team mentality. I want to touch on something about strategy. How, what are the key elements to having an effective um, fundraising and communication strategy? Well, for me, it's three things. You have to have a defined purpose, mm -hmm. and you have to all be very clear on what that purpose is and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And very often, that's quite long-term vision. Um, you have to have accountable growth, um, but more important than growth, you know, profit and loss is great, and it's part of any strategy. But actually, the fundamental part that is very often hidden from the fundraisers is what is the balance sheet? Because if you don't know how much cash you've got, you don't know how to plan growth. Um, so we do a very open management account system that the employees can track how much cash they're bringing to the balance sheet. This is quite motivational. And something else that I wanted to touch on is in the last few years we've seen a lot of changing in the fundraising world. Yeah. Notably GDPR. Yeah. But also other other things that have come up that have affected fundraising. For example, um, the death of Olive Cook. So my question is, what do you see as the key challenges, but also the key opportunities for fundraising and communications in the next three years? And I know something, I know we spoke earlier and something that you mentioned before is that you only see opportunities. You never see a challenge and that's something that really stuck out to me. Yeah, for me, the, um, the, the fundraising community per se can cite lots of challenges. Economic climate, uh, the public image, um, but for the way my mindset works, I, I see only opportunity. If I look at the fundraising world, actually yes, GDPR exists, but there are more ways to connect than ever before. The digital world is opening up, um, and I don't think as fundraisers we've properly tapped it yet. Um, there are more ways in terms of the way the next generation are interacting uh, and spending their money. But with a bit of clever thought, the opportunities are endless. Um, and it's something that we've actually reacted to because 
with this public image of charities that is around at the moment, we've actually changed now our values, with the first one being reputation. So we're trying to, you know, we have to be trusted as an organisation, um, and therefore everything we do, we're trying to do properly, um, so that we can explore through our second value ambition, um, all of these new opportunities that are out there and well depending on when this is published but for you and I chatting tonight yes watch the press tomorrow and you'll see the next stage of our digital evolution oh, brilliant and something that you, that you mentioned a bit earlier was about allowing people to come with, come up with new solutions and new ideas and I think that goes hand in hand with this discussion we're having about opportunities yeah. because you can only tap into those opportunities if you're ahead of the curve if you encourage your team to adapt and be flexible and look for new opportunities yeah. rather than being risk averse and I think a lot of the time in the charity sector we're, we're risk averse partly because of the funding model we operate in yeah. but we're very risk averse at times and we don't do things because we know that might create a negative public image if, if we're unsuccessful or if we quote-unquote fail on a particular project. Yeah, and that's uh, it's a really interesting concept because, I mean, if you if you look at it from very blue skies, yeah. if we continue to be risk-averse, our model will be squeezed. There's 160,000 charities all fighting for the same space. If we have, if you take the startup model in business world, if we take 10 risks and eight come through and two fail, yes. but those eight, generate 50 million to our bottom line I know which I'd rather present to a family with a child that's got cancer yes and yes I accept my outlook is very different um, but I am very cautious and respectful of the balance sheet cash I'm not uh, I'm not taking risks that shouldn't be taken but at the same time if we're genuine about wanting to, well, as our vision is, yes. create a world where no child dies from cancer, then we're not going to do that by organic growth. You know, GDPR is affecting regular giving, it's affecting IG. We have to come up with new routes to market. We have to come up with new and exciting ways to, um, for donors to want to engage with us. And that's going to require some brave decisions. They have to be evidence-based, they have to be thought through, but nonetheless we have to take a leap of faith at some point. And I really like the idea of keeping beneficiaries in mind in whatever we do, because they're the reason why we get up in the morning and do what we do. Of course. And I think strategy should be led by that rather than fear of quote-unquote failure. If our, if our strategy, business model, fundraising strategies are not cause-led, then they're not the right strategy. Yeah. Everything we do has to be around the cause that we represent. Um, and you know, if we're engaging with celebrities or donors or high net worth individuals and it's based around the cause, then we have a model that people will want to engage with. And you mentioned earlier about the importance of um, keeping beneficiaries in mind and the importance of taking um, new opportunities. Something that I wanted to talk about was about partnerships and the importance of partnerships. Because you, you mentioned that there are so many charities dealing with the same issue. 
Yeah. So if we take the, the issue of cancer and children's cancer even, there are so many charities dealing with, with that particular issue. Sure. So how important is partnership so we don't duplicate the work or we work together to ensure that we come up yeah, with a common absolutely. solution? I mean, I sit on the, the, the Cancer Coalition um, where there are a number of uh, charities sitting around the table and, you know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> I haven't even proposed this to them yet, but their common goal is, you know, the sum of the parts is a stronger voice and we work together to share what we're doing. I fully agree with that. We work together to, so we're not stepping on each other's toes. But to my mind, I think it can go further. Um, and, and obviously I've not, I will share with this with them at the next meeting. But if I look at the Cancer Coalition, well, if you look at things like procurement, we're all going out and buying the same stuff. Well, if we buy it as a one, our purchase price will go down. We all benefit. And that kind of thinking will lead to us being better profits, better returns, more money for each individual charity to spend on whatever their uh, objectives are. So one of the potential challenges any organisation faces, and this is, can be in the, in, in the corporate sector, the charity sector, is the issue of high staff turnover. If you don't retain your staff, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, just as an example, in major donor fundraising, it takes at least 18 months to two years to build a trust-worthy relationships with your uh, major donor. Yeah. And sometimes, if there's high staff turnover, that can impact not only the team um, and the morale, but also the ultimate um, end point, which is to get money from your donors. And, and that's just one example in one uh, segment of fundraising. So, what what practical tips can you give to ensure that you mitigate against that? Sure. That issue. Um, so we found. I I certainly found when I joined the charitable sector that the, the workforce can be quite transient. Okay. Um, people will get to a certain level and then they'll move sideways to join a bigger charity and do the same job. To me, that's an utter madness. Um, because we've invested all this money in this employee yes, and then we lose them for them to go and earn a couple of thousand pounds somewhere else. So it's kind of linked to the growth strategy because fundraisers need to know that they've got a career path. Um, so we developed internally very early on a learning and development program and some people looked at me and said, well, that's madness because you're going to train them up to go and work somewhere else. My answer to that was simple. Well, imagine having an employee that you haven't trained. The damage could be far greater. Um, so we invest, um, we invest quite a lot of money into making sure our staff are well trained. And then we go through that with development and action and coaching plans through their quarterly KPIs. And then what we also encourage, because what I also found is there's an awful lot of fundraisers that are pigeonholed as, oh, well, you sit in sports. Well, actually, and I am being very generic here, fundraising is about relationship management. Why can't their career go from sports to corporate to... I, 
So we actually started encouraging our internal staff to say, okay, if you've reached the ceiling of your path, why don't you consider a career in another area of fundraising? And then the final thing that we've done as well to try and retain staff is we introduced bands. So from administrator to, to coordinator to manager to senior manager. So as people could see, well actually, okay, I've got a path here. Um, it doesn't always work. We still lose some staff. Um, but certainly, I mean, when I first arrived two years ago, our turnover was 25%. Now it's eight. So yes, we're still losing. Um, but it's at a more controllable level because we've given them the tools and we've also done slightly other things like um, we've introduced a non-contributory pension, we've got life plans, medical plans, um, little tiny things so our workforce is predominantly between 20 and 30, they'll spend their lunch hours going to do exercise and jogging so we introduce showers, um, we've introduced somewhere for the staff to go and sit and have their lunch because another thing that came up that I observed was people would go and get their lunch, they'd sit at their desk and they'd carry on working. Well that doesn't promote a really proactive afternoon shift um, because they're just carrying on. Um, Especially as you're all very conscious about well-being in the workplace exactly. these days. So we just literally took an area of the office and put, um, what do you call them, breakfast bars yeah. in. Yeah. Get away from your desk, Absolutely. go sit. Actually, more importantly to me, go and talk to people from other departments. Yeah. Yeah. Go share ideas. Small organisations where there might not necessarily be as much resource or spend or actually where there's not a lot of career progression, what do you think would be the key takeaways or tips really for, for management looking to really retain skilled staff? It's really hard to comment on other businesses without seeing them. I mean the key for me, and this is a little bit 101, is you know understand the staff you've got. Um, and more to the point, take the time to understand what is their ambition. You know, very often in all businesses, charity, commercial, people come in, they do a function, then everybody's surprised when they leave. Well, actually, you know, one of the things I do, which is probably a little bit 1980s, but it works <laughs> for me, um, is that I want to know everything about all my staff. Are they married? Do they have children? When is their birthday? And every morning I walk the floor. And the impact of knowing that it was their son's birthday at the weekend and you ask how did it go, actually is quite dramatic. It just breaks down that barrier, I think, actually, as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And you know, walking up and knowing what they're working on and asking how it's going and asking, you know, send me a progress report at the end of the week. Suddenly flicks that, that you're actually interested in what they're doing rather than just coming in and performing. Because if they feel they're just part of a big sausage factory and churning out numbers every week, well, they can do that anywhere. Absolutely. They need to be feel as if, going back to what we were talking about earlier, they need to feel part of the cause. Yeah. And with a lot of fundraisers, um, you often hear them saying that it's the same thing year after year, that their part of fundraising is the same bit of fundraising, it's the same events that they're churning out year after year. How can an organisation keep staff 
motivated and inspired if there really isn't that much scope to change the outputs of their role but if there isn't the scope there should be so leadership so when I arrived there was a lot of talk of oh there's no leadership there's no direction and I kind of sat in this staff meeting one day and went hang on leadership starts with you what direction do you want this business to go in yes okay I'm here to look at the balance sheet and give you really blue sky big picture I want to go this way in five years but I'm also going to give you the autonomy of how we get there and if fundraisers are out there feeling that they haven't got the scope to move forward develop create new ideas new events new this year we are holding probably 10 new events I didn't come up with them I'm not a genius <laughs> you know I came to the business and said for the next five years I want to grow six million year on year I then went to the team and said how are we going to do, do that, that. <laughs> yeah. and they came up with hundreds of ideas which through a process of elimination of we've then chosen 10 events for this year that we're growing we're doing um, the first one of which there's a, a, a launch day with the press tomorrow to talk about um, so how do you prioritize when so many people have ideas and want change and they've all come up with a great business plan that they think is fantastic I think the key is the ones that really stand out is the ones that are really thinking of moving away from a transactional event so I hold event X you raise money Y we thank you Z okay that has its place if you really have a strong business and a board of trustees that backs you to do it actually what I'm interested in is okay forget XYZ I'm interested in ABC how do I create a customer lifetime value over the next four years so that when I wake up on the first day of my financial year my balance isn't nil and we've all got to run around like headless chickens trying to create this year's number yeah. if we if you look at all the big businesses that have really tra been transformational over the last uh, five years Apple music uh, Sky TV all of them are based on a subscription you know Apple don't care about selling you the phone they care about all the subscriptions you take when you've got the phone um, and that is a business model that certainly the charity I work for we have really encouraged so I mean one of the key appointments I made to the fundraising team actually wasn't a fundraiser and yes it was a promotion from within but we made sure we had a head of supporter experience for every because I actually looked at the business so the first year I arrived um, and I went to the London Marathon and we had all these runners and it was wonderful and everybody was backslapping themselves saying God look at the money we've raised okay fab so you got a load of runners they raised a load of sponsorship and you said and thanks it, very really. much yeah. where's the note saying when you get back to work Monday morning can you introduce us because yeah. we'd love to work with whoever you work for 
and it's that kind of just turning the dial two degrees to a different way of thinking that transforms from as you said repeat over and over yeah. and over to moving that over here to okay we've really got some of this transformation in there sometimes organizations can come up with five-year strategies yep. but don't have five-year plans in place in order how to deal with those strategies in the first place yeah so one of my questions you said about the, one of the most important skills a fundraiser needs to have, have is about relationship management to build a relationship with the funder and always look one step ahead yeah and to understand what is my next ask or what is my next interaction with that funder yeah so what key skills do you think fundraisers need or need to develop? Um, and obviously this is a quite generic question. Um, in order to get better at the relationship management side as opposed to seeing it as a transactional relationship. I mean the key for me is they have to understand two things. You just mentioned the five year plan. A five year plan just becomes a doorstop unless it's got an end goal that every single person in the charity is bought into. So every conversation they have to have is, has to be around the end. Where are we trying to get this business to? If they understand that, then they have to understand the dynamic of every part of their donor. So, for example, uh, a corporate partner. They have to know what their brand stands for, what their CSR policy is, what their uh, peaks and troughs of trading are. They don't just need to be the account manager that turns up on a Friday to do a cycle race or a, a run round the block or whatever it might be. Actually, the whole point is in the title of the department, corporate partners. If we're not complementing their brand as much as they are complementing our brand, then you're in charity of the year bit. And you might raise some money and it'll all be lovely and thanks very much, that's transactional. Actually, if we've got a five-year plan, why shouldn't we have a five-year partnership with every partner we deal with? That's taking us on every single step down the road. So we are doing a huge, piece of work at the moment around we have strategic imperatives but are they the right ones we have values at the moment but are they right just because they've been around forever doesn't make them current so we're just taking the opportunity and encouraging every member of staff to say I don't think that's right There's a realisation that you're midway through something and actually it's really not working for whatever reason. How do you bring the organisation with you back to the drawing board? <laughs> so, <clears throat> the one thing that is very commercial that we brought in um, is one of the things I introduced is, so we have a, um, I purposefully did this, we have a monthly board meeting. And that board meeting is, the agenda is set by each head or director's objectives. And at that board meeting, they will go through 
red, amber, green status on every single line item. That sounds a little bit convoluted, but the point of doing that is in order to prepare for that meeting, they have to have spoken to their teams before the meeting, which means then by the time the meeting actually happens, the whole company knows what is red, bless you, what is amber, what is green. So actually by the time it comes across my desk, the teams are already working on the red. Um, bless you. <laughs> so they have to come. And what I encourage, what, what I found when I arrived is, people would come into the meeting and go, okay, X is broken, how do I fix it? Wrong question. I want to hear X is broken and this is how I am going to fix it. I want to know that you're coming to me with a solution, not a question. Of course, you know, the world moves, you know, we're going to get a new Prime Minister in the next few weeks. That could change things dramatically. <laughs> but stick to the robustness of what your five-year vision is. What will definitely change along the way is how you get there. And there'll be twists and turns and all sorts of wonderful stuff. But if we stay strong and say that, that's where we're going, we'll get there. It's just off the back of your comment about making sure that um, it supports a robust vision. Actually, how do we take a step back and ensure that our vision and strategy is robust? I know there's things um, you know that we can be doing to measure our objectives and KPIs. Yep. There's the wider strategy mapping for the whole organisation. But actually, how do you know that that's the right picture for you now? Um, well, I can only talk for us as a charity. So we looked at a big piece of work around what what, what is the core that we're trying to deliver, um, which fundamentally focuses on two things, providing welfare and providing research. Um, and we looked at how do we want to provide that in years to come. Um, We've done it a certain way for a long, long time. And a lot of the ways we've done it has actually been quite damaging to the uh, impact of being able to raise funds. So we took a long time to say, okay, if we're gonna do this, it has to be under our own umbrella, our own brand. So we've developed a roadmap of where we wanna get to. Um, and how that becomes something that fundraisers can go, do you want to be part of this? And we've created something quite, I think, revolutionary, um, that corporate partners can be excited about, marathon runners can be excited about, patient families can be excited about, so we're all pushing in the same direction. And I take your point entirely. It will move and weave and turn, but where we want to get to doesn't. Um, and the most important thing for us is when I looked at the work that the O'Gorman family have done for 30 odd years, is the next five, I needed to create a legacy for them. I needed something that will live on long after they're not involved anymore. Long after um, they've stepped down and moved aside, but we, keep true to what they set out to achieve. 
um, and the plan that we've come up with certainly achieves that. What do you think that charities and the third sector as a whole can learn from the corporate world? Obviously you've had a, a successful career in the corporate world and sometimes like we were speaking earlier about charities being risk averse. So what are the key elements and practical tips do you think that charities can learn from the corporate world in order to further their own aims, objectives and outcomes? Again, speaking from my own yeah. charity's experience, I think <clears throat> the key thing has to be around never ignore your balance sheet. Uh, become more net focused than gross focused and be really robust in the steps you want to take in order to reach your own end goals. So, you know, in commercial world, we always say, yes, we have a five-year plan, but internally we'd be saying, so much can change in five years. It's kind of, it's a lovely brochure that sits in reception and that's about what it is. Actually, take bite-sized chunks. So, what is the objective for the next six months? and the next six months and the next all tied to that five-year goal because if you go out there and to the big world saying five years i'm going to do this well guess what it's probably not going to happen make it more manageable do everything piecemeal do everything in little pieces so i kind of try and draw it for my staff as a triangle so in order to achieve five years, the peak of the triangle, well, in the first six months block, we got loads to do. And then we overlay it, and we overlay it, and we and eventually the tip of the triangle comes to fruition and you achieve your plan. As part of a senior leadership team, how do you ensure that there's smooth transitions between any changes um, to make sure that there's no new vanity projects that might come up and sabotage what you've got going on already or so, just to make sure that there's continuation i know we've spoken about so retention we, of staff <laughs> yep. lower levels but actually i think it's just as important higher up yeah so i mean it's really 101 of any business and i do view charity as a business strangely enough we're going through a process at the moment where there was a couple of staff internally saying are we changing away from being a charity? And only this morning I sat with all staff and said, so I've gone into the Oxford English Dictionary and said, what is the definition of charity? Which is to raise money for its objective. That is, ex Succinct. <laughs> is exactly the same as a business. As business. The only yeah. difference being you're not, not raising money to make shareholders rich. So the point of senior leadership is with, within the boardroom, we can all throw mud at each other as much as we like. But if you take the 101 of running a business, um, rule number four is uh, be very careful about how you present. And the point of that is internally in the boardroom, we'll all disagree and we'll all throw mud at each other. That happens in every boardroom up and down the land. As second you go out and face the staff, the message has to be identical. United. It cannot change, otherwise you're just wasting your time. So within the boardroom arena, yes, we'll disagree. But once we've reached what is the overarching agreement of moving forward, 
that message has to go through to all staff. So there you go, dear listener. A big thank you to Jason Rigby for speaking to Charity Chats. If you are a director or head of fundraising or any other head or director in your organisation, I'm sure you found valuable tips there and advice and uh, perhaps you have a director or head of who, uh, who you may wish to send this to as, a, uh, as something they can learn from as well. So please do send them the link to this podcast and also please do let us know what you thought of it. Are there things here that Jason touched on which really resonated with you? Are there things that you disagree with? Uh, we'd love to hear from you either way and uh, you can get in touch with us by going to our website charitychat.org.uk all of our contact information is there including a, a communication tool that you can use to contact us I for one will be employing a lot of what Jason has said in how I operate as a manager and a fundraiser and uh, some really inspiring things there that uh, great ideas, nuggets of information that I'll be using. I hope you will too. It's just left for me to thank you, dear listener. Without you, we would not have a, uh, a reason to be going on with the podcast. I know many of you listen and uh, and get in touch with us. And we really appreciate the feedback, so thank you. Um, also to thank our dedicated sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. RRUI Photography for the lovely pro bono images that we're using on our website. And Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and playing us out right now. That's it from us. Hope to speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.